you start to see that your sales cycle, if you're educating your market properly, should drop as well. So no longer is the first time they've heard about Cognizant when they've spoken to the salesperson. It's now they've heard about you before. So when they submit a demo, they're willing to move through the process quicker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week, we're joined by Liam Bartholomew. Liam is Global Head of Demand Generation at Cognizant, and we talk about how they've shifted from a lead gen to a demand gen focus. It's a super interesting journey and something that I'm really passionate about too. So I hope you enjoy. So Liam, welcome to the Market Mentors podcast. Hi, Mac. Happy to be here. And from the Shard in London. Very fancy. Yeah, very fancy. We're just here for a few months, but living it up for now. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with demand generation. Yeah, so I head up the demand generation team here at Cognizant. And currently we have about 10 of us in the team. So 10 demand geners. And basically we're responsible for generating all of the inbound demand for Cognizant, specifically really around new business and how we basically get people to come in and submit the demo form and put their hand up to show that they're interested in Cognizant and want to speak to us. Awesome. And you guys have just been on a rebrand. So if anybody's interested, please go and check it out. You've obviously been busy over there. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I'll do a little plug here where we run our own little webinars called Demandism. And if you are doing a rebrand, we're doing an episode on it, which you'll be able to catch on our website where we're actually going to dig into all of that. So go through all the pitfalls we fell through doing it and all of the ups as well. So perfect. I know it's a tricky one for a lot of people. Good stuff. I like the plug. So we're obviously (laughs) here to talk about how you guys have kind of shifted your focus from classic lead gen to demand gen. But before we sort of get stuck into that, for a bit of context, when you first started, when you joined Cognizant, how was the marketing team set up then? So when I first started, the marketing team was actually really small. They really just started kicking it off. There had been like a marketing team in place before, but it was sort of awkwardly structured and there'd been people coming in and out, like kind of a high attrition rate. So then by the time that Alice, who is CMO, joined, it was myself, her, and then we had a content manager as well. So it was really just the three of us running the show. And then we had a designer as well later on and then actually a strange hire but now one of the best hires that i think we ever had at the time i thought like oh it's kind of a nice luxury to come into we have a videographer who the ceo hired sort of early on kind of spontaneously and then turned out to be one of the best people we've ever had in the team because it's helped us scale video so quickly that was sort of a team of three marketers and then two enablement i suppose yeah that's awesome that you've got a videographer. Like you say, you'd normally expect that from a sort of really big corporate business, wouldn't you? But these days, videos, it's a great tool, isn't it? It's a great sort of channel to use. Sort of drilling down in terms of what you guys market then, what's an average deal size? What are you marketing? Who's your audience? Yeah, so, so Cognizant itself is a SaaS tool, software service. It is a data platform, a contact data platform in its simplicity. So you can find out like sort of TAM size, go in and find your ICP and find like the email numbers and mobile numbers and direct contact information of the people that you're trying to target. So in that, our ICP is specifically really sales and then marketing. 
slightly different use cases in both that obviously it can be used as a prospecting tool for sales and that's the predominant use. But then there are many different ways that marketers can use it to find new audiences to either use it as like a tool to help run email campaigns and enrich their CRM or to use it to find new audiences to create in ad platforms using matched audiences and things like that. Perfect, perfect. And is it typically a longer sales cycle? Is it an enterprise sell or are you sell into all different sort of sizes of companies? Yeah, so the ATV is around 20K. Yeah. And then the sales cycle is, I suppose it depends on segment, but like for like the SMB market, sales cycle is normally about three months. And then for enterprise up towards six months or upwards. Cool. So part of your persona's marketing to marketers. It's a tough audience, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so why did Cognizant want to sort of change focus then? Was there a sort of particular thing or point that led you to sort of think, actually, we want to shift the focus then from lead gen to demand gen then? We were listening always to the chat that's going on <laughs> on LinkedIn about lead gen to demand gen, specifically following Chris Walker who is obviously like at the forefront of like this whole movement that he's basically created. We were always listening into that and like sort of paying attention because, you know, you can't argue that it doesn't make sense. It obviously does. It's like there's a lot of sense to it. Hmm. In fact, we actually invited him on a webinar where we got Alice to debate him about how their ebook wasn't dead. <laughs> And then obviously now we've reversed entirely on that. So <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like a journey for us as well. But it got to the point where we were running a lead gen system and we were generating thousands of leads from content downloads. We just got really good at it. Like we're getting like $9 cost per leads on LinkedIn. We would optimize it to like the best that we possibly could. The content we were creating in those ebooks was still good. So but we could see when we split out the funnel that the content leads that we got or the lead gen leads weren't converting down into revenue. And we always had the benefit that as a marketing team, we were targeted on revenue. So that was always the outlook. That's what management want for us. That's what they were looking for. So we were always like then breaking down, like how do we make that number bigger? Mm. And when you split out between the direct inbounds, people who come in and submit a demo and those that submit a content lead, well, like download a piece of content, you can see that those people aren't going on to like close one. It's not providing us any value. We got to the point that we we're creating so many leads that we had at that time, we were like NDRs, like SDRs that only pick up our marketing leads, that we were creating so many leads that if we were to continue with this model, we would need to get another MDR in the team then you have to beg the question. Mm. So if this system is really inefficient. We're like from lead to close one is like 0.2%. And then you, where you've got like an inbound is like closing at 20%. Why am I focusing on this system? And by adding an extra MDR into that, you're increasing like marketing CAC and everything goes up. So we started to ask ourselves, right, so we need to have a different way of looking at this, got a different way of approaching it. That's where it will fall from. And then there's obviously like the rest of the story after that, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting you talk about splitting the funnel then. <laughs> you know, a lot of companies think about MQLs as MQLs. You're talking about actually looking at the source of those MQLs and splitting them between actually the lead gen stuff that you're creating, i.e. somebody filling out a form for a piece of content mm -hmm. versus actually somebody coming into the website as a, oh, I'm interested in a demo of your particular product. You were splitting those two out then and then treat them as separate paths almost and seeing how they map out in terms of conversion rates, basically. Right, exactly. So it all comes down to like all MQLs 
aren't created equal, as people say. So yeah. as soon as you accept that, then you know you can split them out. So like, what you're actually doing is just splitting out people on intent. And so we split it out into three different ways. Mm. But like direct inbounds, people who come direct to the website, fill out the demo form. Paid inbounds, people that we're collecting through like a paid activity, like submit a demo on LinkedIn or Google ads. Mm. Well, then it was like a lead gen form for a piece of content. Now, obviously, the inbound has the greatest amount of intent because they're coming, looking directly for you. Mm. That's where you've generated the most demand. And then in that paid, although they're coming to submit a demo for you, they're potentially looking at a load of other people as well. Hence why you've captured the demand at that moment. Mm. And then obviously your lead gen forms are just people exchanging their contact data for a piece of content, which has no intent to buy your product at all. So actually what you do after that is just an outbound motion, right? You're just calling them up and pitching to them. And it just goes into a folder on somebody's email that doesn't necessarily get read sometimes. Exactly. So each of those types of lead or MQL is completely different. And so you have to treat and measure them differently. Yeah. And I think a lot of companies are, I don't know if Cognizant is like this, but you're essentially kind of targeted as a marketing team on MQLs. I mean, when you were sort of thinking about, okay, we're going to try and shift the focus to demand, to kind of focusing on that inbound stuff then, when you were talking to sort of leadership, was there any sort of pushback as to, oh, we're not sure we're ready for this? Or what were their sort of concerns when you were talking it through with them? Yes, I think the main concern was that obviously by losing the leads, in some way that would impact revenue Mm. and that actually the lead gen motion itself was beneficial to the inbound motion. So like by running all these ads for our ebooks, whether they were gated or not, that was actually driving people inbound, Mm. which is probably true. But actually, if that's driving a good number of inbounds already and half of these people can't even see the content, then our argument back was, Imagine if they could see everything and access it and actually engage with the brand, then what will that do for inbounds? And then at the end of the day, when you spit out that funnel and you show where that revenue is coming from, we might look in the month and we'll say, say, for example, you closed 10 deals and one of them was from lead gen and nine of them were from paid or inbound. Then you just say, I just need to make up one deal a month by switching this just one and I'm already matching where we're at and that's often how the split is we just sort of worked out and figured out where we're going to extend but obviously that was the concern yeah yeah and sales are still doing their outbound motion themselves then yeah they're just not kind of following up on these content leads right so you're almost freeing them up a little bit I guess yeah so obviously there was some concern there at first because what do the SCRs do without all the leads actually once you commit to this and obviously having a tool like Cognizant ourselves means that we've got the contact data we need to do outbound too. But I think that's like the biggest reason why to switch to demand gen now is that you don't need to run lead gen to collect your contact data. You can use a service like Cognizant or like our competitors and you can get that contact data much cheaper than you would if you're running it for ads on LinkedIn for the same amount of intent for all intensive purposes. So They've got that side, so they can run that. And actually, when they analyzed like, the meetings booked from the SDRs, they found that the content leads often booked into a meeting higher than anyone else, right? Because they've obviously seen Cognizant Brand. They're like, yeah, I'll see a meeting. But then they went no further than that. So actually, what was happening was all the SDRs hit quota on content meetings, <laughs> on meetings attending from content leads that don't go anywhere into revenue. And all the AEs calendars are jam-packed with meetings that don't move forward either. 
So if you take all those leads away, then you actually benefit sales because now they can focus on like doing high quality outbound, trying to find people who are at the point that they're ready to buy, building relationships with people so they can book them into a meeting when they're ready. And then the AEs only have meetings from people who have submitted inbound demo requests or from high quality outbound where the SDRs have actually built a relationship and these people have started to know about Cognizant themselves. Perfect. And no tussling with what is a lead, what isn't a lead, this is a poor lead. Yeah. Yeah, everybody's a winner, I guess, really, aren't they? So what did it mean for you then? Obviously, you are ahead of demand, Jen. Once you kind of made this switch, and I'm sure you sort of did a pilot and all that kind of stuff. But as a head of demand gen, apart from feeling a lot more relaxed because you don't have this sort of, you know, huge MQL number on you, what did it actually mean for you then in terms of the sort of day-to-day then? Yeah, so you have to actually rethink a lot of the stuff that you know and do Mm. and the way that you use all of the channels, basically, and the way that you think about content. So lead gen buckets you into doing a lot of the same activities. Spend a lot of your time on actually just keeping the system alive which is, like you said, lead handoff, discussing what's a valuable lead, all of this sort of stuff, like lead scoring, grading, all of that thing. But that's all just to try and grade an intent, something that has no intent. So actually you get rid of all of that and all of your time goes up from that. You don't have to build endless email nurtures for everyone to come in to try and warm people up because you now actually only have like a very few direct sources into your marketing automation system or your CRM. So you can have like very specific nurtures for different stages and you can really whittle down what you're doing there and then also in content the content you create is all stuff that can create a lead no one's interested in doing as much video because you can't get any leads from it Mm. and then if everyone's tried to gate a video and no one submits a form for a video so you create a lot of ebooks right work with content to write a lot of blogs create a lot of ebooks you do a lot of webinars and things like that and you gate all of them you're not actually interested in the content you're writing so much. You're more interested in, well, that generate leads. You just want to have the right topic. I've always done good content, I must say, like at Cognizant, but at the same time, you're not focused on it. You're not trying to mm. really like engage your audience. And then everything you put out on your paid social platforms and things like that, you're obviously optimizing for customer leads. So that's what you're looking at. That's your top line metric is just like, what's the cheapest level lead I can get in? And that's how I'll determine success. And all those things sort of change. So you rely less on email because your email now sort of works as a pure inbound function thing to support people who are coming in. And way less outbound email is needed, which I think everyone on the receiving end is definitely grateful for. And then content, you're now focused on content that you would actually yourself like to consume. Mm. So it's about like making things fun, engaging, and that's like video, quizzes, games, interesting pieces that I've written pieces as well. So you can move all of those PDFs online, try and make them interactive in some way with different ways of feeding content. And basically you get to focus a lot more on what makes people comment on socials and actually gets people buzzed and engaging with you and your brand. And then all of your paid social activity changes because no longer are you just running a static image ad with a new gen form on it and saying picture of an ebook like download my ebook <laughs> you've now got to like think about how people are consuming that ad so if you've got a static image ad you're now going to change the objective not from lead generation but you're going to change it to reach to keep it and you're going to make the ad completely consumable in feed so they don't actually really need to click onto your website they get all the information from it 
on the feed and it's like pushing your brand out. So as people scroll through, they see you, they know who you are then. And the same for your videos, you'll be running like video views and running on video views. So you're just trying to like optimize for that, get people to engage with you. And then you might start using for like carousels never worked. I just didn't really know why LinkedIn and Facebook had them, but it's because people don't click through a carousel and then click and then submit a form. It's all too many actions. But if you have a carousel without the lead gen action, now people are just going to play with it through taking the information you want and they're not going to leave the platform, you know? Yes. And then when you do have campaigns optimized for them to come to your website, you're going to have it for a very good reason, like a great article that people are going to click out on. And it just changes the whole perspective, I suppose, of what you're doing. It makes it more complicated, way more complicated, way harder to do, <laughs> but a lot more interesting than just collecting email addresses, yeah. which is what the lead generation is. Yeah. And you hit the nail on the head at the start when you've got to really rethink things and almost flip things. Because a lot of what you've talked about, there'll be some marketeers out there perhaps going, hang on a minute, I've been taught to gate stuff. I've been taught to put a form up. I've been taught to drive people to forms, all this sort of stuff. But actually you're taking a step back from that. So, you know, it's really interesting sort of hearing you talk about it. And the sort of social platforms, if you think about how social platforms work, I guess they want to keep you on their own platform. They don't want you to post stuff that's going to drive you elsewhere. So mm -hmm. when you talk about optimizing it for a platform, you're talking about keeping people in that platform in feed yeah sometimes you have to take a step back and like think how we act as consumers yeah i think how many times have we clicked on something on like linkedin or facebook and it goes to take me out and i just clicked back before i've even got there because i just oh, i don't want to leave like yeah. <laughs> i was just i think i'm on this platform for that i came on to do my own thing so it's like how you can get into someone's life without being too intrusive yeah and from a content perspective have you switched up kind of how you treat content then because i know a lot of the stuff that you've been doing that i really enjoy consuming is a lot around kind of really your story mm -hmm. as a business i mean your audience are marketeers that are obviously going to be interested in that but you know you talk a lot about how you have shifted your approach rather than talking about your product not saying that everybody goes out there and just talks about their product but have you had to sort of think a little bit more about actually the content that you're pushing out there as well yes yeah, so we started just sort of realize that what we want is like for people to engage with the brand now because mm. we're not interested in collecting leads. You don't write about certain topics just because you think, oh, that will get those people to submit their content data. You just write about the things that people are interested in mm. or like talk about the things that people are interested in. So for us, we found like, okay, we can run for sales. We can run whole series of different things on cold calling and outbound calling because the people love it, right? And it ties back to the Cognizant product as well. So we have that sort of like dotted line back in about thought leadership that you can push. And then the same goes for this whole lead gen to demand gen movement, which is great because we're doing it, but it plays into that same thing that people love hearing about it. It's a top topic, it gets all the engagement and it has that sort of dotted line back into Cognizant as well. So that's how we kind of think about it in these sort of like themes, I suppose, from very top level for leadership down to sort of more bottom of funnel content. So from a metrics point of view then, what are you tracking now under the sort of demand gen model versus the lead gen model that you had before? Yeah, so under a sort of a lead gen model, your main metric is the MQLs or the number of leads you collect, which is great for giving you something to measure, but it's not necessarily actually telling you anything great about your marketing. It's almost like it becomes like a crutch, right? You feel like, 
well, I've generated this many leads, I must be successful. This is, you know, 2,000 leads, great, got that many. But obviously, if those leads don't convert later to revenue, then it's kind of like a meaningless metric. What you've actually just measured is whether you can get someone to complete a form. So now when you've got a demand gen system in place and you're just trying to drive people to your website to complete your demo form, it becomes a lot more complicated to see how well your marketing is doing. You could track a million different metrics. In fact, you should try and track all of them. But then it's like what actually tells you whether you're doing a good job. I thought about this a lot recently. And just even speaking with people at Refine Labs as well, I don't think anyone's actually got this figured out. And I don't think anyone ever will. There's never going to be one metric to track. There's never going to be one metric for each business. It's going to be different everywhere. It depends on what channels you're using. It depends how active you are, what you're doing, essentially. But there are lots of things I think you can consider and to give you insights that everyone could implement. And then you've got to figure out what sites are the best way. So, so what we track at the moment is we'll look at all of those sort of like typical soft vanity metrics, like measure engagement. So we'll be looking like at click-through rates, video views of ads, engagement rate. So that includes like whether people comment, like, or are any of your posts and things like that. We'll look at like the bounce rate on the pages that they're pushed to, the time spent on page, whether they click through somewhere else. We haven't actually done this yet, but you can scroll depth then as well. Because some people, if they just come on the page and done nothing, then that can be a false metric as well. Like mm. all of these things actually on their own can give you a false picture. We track first and last such UTM. So that's just when someone comes to the website and if they complete a form of anything, like maybe for the newsletter or to attend a webinar or something, we'll track the UTMs that brought them there. And then if they come back later and complete the demo form, we'll be able to see where they came from that time around. So we got their first and last touch on the campaign there. We also have Salesforce set up with first and last touch reporting on the campaign level, which normally just will be able to show us like, oh, okay, whether they've maybe been first touch SDR outbound, last touch inbound demo form. So we can, that's more on like a broader campaign level. Hmm. We also have like on the thank you page, like how did you find out about us? So you can compare that against both of those attributions that tech has given us to how they may have found out about us. And people then might mention like podcasts or something like that. And that's a free form field, is it? That's something actually that they can input rather than the sort of typical tick box that you would tick yes. and the other one might say other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've actually literally today just been doing analysis on ours. And people are very detailed sometimes, sometimes they're not. Mm. It's a mixed bag, but you can get some really good qualitative information there. And We've just been doing stuff on TikTok, very minor amounts, just sort of playing around with it, mainly following trends at the moment, which we want to move away from and maybe do some more value stuff. But in there, I saw one today saying that they first heard about us on TikTok. So I was like, it works. Oh, wait, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's also important to include these things all in conjunction. Like, I think when I heard about that, I was like, well, why use any attribution if you can just get people to tell you themselves? But people are unreliable. They'll tell you what is most memorable or what they first think, but they mm. might forget how they actually got there. Yeah, a lot of people just say internet <laughs> or research, which I just normally rank back down at Google search because that is probably what people are doing in those things. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember about how people heard about you, but then how they found you. And that's what the 
at that attribution will show you, right? So they might have heard about you on a webinar, but at the end of the day, they found you through Google. And what are you doing to capture them mm. Them there? Once you get all these pictures together, I suppose you can see on the ad platforms what are your most engaging ads, what people are responding to. And then you can also start to see that as people come in inbound, like how they've reached you, you know. Mm. Often it reflects exactly with the activity you're doing. So that can be a self-fulfilling prophecy in itself. You know, like the majority of it mentions LinkedIn and Google spend a lot of money there. Mm. But actually you're looking for those smaller bits, right? Or word of mouth. You're looking for those smaller bits where you can be like, ah, that's something new. We can invest here, see if we can grow that bit. So mm. yeah, it's really complicated. I think there's so many different ways you can do it. Mm. And you have to sort of like figure out based on the channels that you're doing, what basically demonstrates to you that you're, audience is engaged with you and then find out somehow and you can find this out in discovery calls as well how they heard about you and then Mm. how you can sort of like double down on those areas from an engagement perspective particularly on social then is that more of a manual thing or are you using technology to sort of help you do that yeah so all of the social platforms actually will give you their version of an engagement rate which i think is based on the number of likes comments all this sort of stuff so you can see the level of engagement. You can then compare that against the number of impressions it's got to see what that engagement gate really means. I think you can go really in depth with these things, actually, if you want, and you can start to take their metrics of platforms will give you and start to make up your own logarithmic scales of what's like you think's working or not, mm. which is something we want to move towards. Like we can try and find a way to really like figure out what's good and what works. And I think, yeah, people who are working into my agenda trying to think about these things at the moment, trying to like get to a point where they can have like some core metrics that really Mm. tell them something. Mm. But at the moment, yeah, it's a lot of piecing together. Mm. And have you totally done away with the MQL then? Have you still got the MQL? Yeah. So we're still looking at the number of leads. Right. But if someone submits like a demo request, that's an MQL, right? That's a lead. But instead of like optimizing for that level, we're optimizing further down. We're really looking at SQOs, sales qualified opportunities. We're looking at that level, like what a predictor of close one. And we try, and therefore, activities we take, we're trying to affect the number of SQOs rather than the number of leads. Because at the end of the day, if you optimize for the MQL, you'll just end up inflating that number Mm. by accident, by probably just reducing the quality of what you're trying to bring in. You're almost treating the MQL as more like a vanity metric, but a signal, I guess, in a way, and really actually focusing on that SQL. Exactly. And in the same way that we're looking at engagement rate and how people found out about stuff, the, mm. the MQL itself all fits into that picture as well. So if I got 200 MQLs one month and the next month I got 80, I'm still going to be concerned because that is undoubtedly going to affect the number of SQOs I've got unless somehow I've remarkably improved quality. But obviously that Mm. you'd hope that you'd know that was going to happen if that was the case. Yeah, fine. And generally speaking, what sort of results have you seen then once you've kind of started optimizing more for the SQL and you've moved from perhaps lead management, if you like, or lead generation to demand generation then? Yeah, I mean, number one is just that your MQLs do fall through the floor as soon as you stop lead generation. You're only bringing in people who are putting their hands up and coming to you. I think we went from generating like two and a half to 3,000 MQLs a month to I think at the time, like maybe like 400 to 400, 500. And that was just taking all that lead gen contact data stuff out of it. And then also you start to see that your sales cycle 
if you're educating your market properly, it should drop as well. So no longer is the first time they've heard about Cognizant when they've spoken to the salesperson. It's now they've heard about you before. So when they submit a demo, they're willing to move through the process quicker. So they don't have to speak to the salesperson as long and be convinced and mm. learn it and understand the product. So we've seen sales cycle slowly start to come down as well. And you should then see your conversion rate also increase, right? So obviously, lead gen contact data conversion rate is absolutely rubbish. Like I think it's like from lead to actual close one was 0.2%. Wow. Whereas we sit at like 20, 25% for an inbound demo request. The better your education market, the better that conversion rate will go up. And so you're focused on that, right? Mm. Especially that SQUO to close one conversion rate is really important. Yeah. Yeah. So we know that that SQUO is like a good opportunity. Yeah. So you're optimizing the funnel. You're making the funnel work a lot better. And have you seen a bigger pipeline then off the back of it as well then? Bearing in mind, as you sort of talked about earlier, I think in the podcast, we were talking about putting all your great content kind of up there, putting it in platforms where people want to engage with it naturally then. So you're giving away almost like your best stuff. Have you kind of noticed that the pipeline's got bigger off the back of that generally? I posted about this back in about April, March, and how from the beginning of when we moved to like demand gen, We'd grown the inbound demand from two to six million in pipeline and all the sort of inbound about everyone who's just come in direct to us. And now we've continued to see that pipeline grow. I think we're now sort of sitting closer towards what well, it's about 13 million. So it's like grown again. We've shaved off all of those like lead gen stuff. That's all just people coming straight into us. So yeah, you watch that trend increase and we just watched that month on month on looking at leads. Meetings booked, meetings attended, growth, revenue, and just month on month checking those trends upwards like that inbound velocity. So you're the happiest and most chilled out demand gen person out there. You don't have the MQL <laughs> weight on your shoulders and this pipeline's growing bigger. And not only is it growing bigger, the conversion rates within that pipeline are getting even better. Yeah. The people will be listening to this and thinking, this guy's got it <laughs> sussed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in some, there are definitely bits that cause me stress. It? <laughs> <laughs> and actually sometimes focusing on revenue, there's a lot of things you have to let go and you can't control. Mm. There's no quick fix. You can't just switch on a campaign and generate a load of leads like before to save the bacon. Like <laughs> <laughs> by the time it's down to that, I have a lot of stress slacks to salespeople sometimes asking yeah. if things are going to come in. <laughs> I'll bet, I'll bet. So look, you're obviously making the move from lead generation into demand generation. And it sounds great what you guys are achieving there. But what are you looking to improve at the moment? What's perhaps one or two things that you're looking at to perhaps either do that you're not doing or improve that you're currently doing to make it even better? Yeah. And it's two things that are like massively just associated with that switch, right? One of them is what we just talked about, is measuring it all. Me talking about that sounds like we've got it sus. I feel like we've got a rudimentary way of looking at it and it's helpful and like everything is like way that we just do it on repeat and that like, we can really trust what we're pulling out. It's like we're kind of guessing at the same time, like whilst we're looking at it, like this would suggest that. And I'd like to have a real firm framework in place that we're really happy with and we know what we're looking for. So I think that's definitely something we want to do. And as soon as we've got that framework, we'll definitely be sharing it. But yeah, that's like probably... One of the next big things. And there's a lot of technical work on that. Like we've only really just got our first and last UTMs working, right? So now we've got to see how that works and stuff. And that was just like a big technical build as well. And then I think the rest is all in like the content machine, right? Mm. And we've got a good content machine going, but it's just never ending. So we're trying to think about how we can make, you know, the content we've got better place for demand gen. 
and how we distribute it. We're thinking about how we scale what we call the media machine, which is like the podcasts, the newsletters, the webinars and lives, and how we make that bigger, better, faster, like volume and volume is key in anything. And B2C really, I feel like really understands that, like that's huge volume plays. And sometimes I think in B2B we're a bit slower. Sometimes we just think they've got a webinar, a month is enough. And it's like, is it, or should we be actually doing this every week? So we're just scaling that media machine, I think, is really important for us as well. So I think, yeah, between measurement and content, probably our, our two biggest challenges and what we want to grow. And maybe thirdly on top of that, like on that volume page, like consistency in our campaigns. Like mm. I think sometimes you launch a campaign, you run it for a few weeks, a month, you don't necessarily see the immediate results you want or think you should see. And then it kind of falls down the wayside and you get distracted. And we want some like consistency on that. And now I'm thinking about it as well. Another big one for us is optimizing the website to make it no longer are we collecting leads. We want people to stay on the website because it's good and come back to it and be able to find the things they need to find when they're in those hunting journeys. And I think sometimes we want to make sure that that process is easy for them and we fully optimize it so that they can find the next thing they're looking for. Mm in that process so those are probably the four big things i love hearing you talk through it because <laughs> no b2b marketer should be satisfied and that's a great answer why because a lot of people will be listening to this podcast thinking you know you guys are further ahead you know you're doing some really exciting stuff but it doesn't stop does it it just does not stop there's always things to improve and do differently and test and all that sort of stuff yeah i think there's just no magic bullet no and everyone will try and tell you that there is one and there's like one thing to follow one way of doing it and once you've implemented it your life is made and it's easy <laughs> and it's actually just never ending yeah. <laughs> and as soon as you stop is when it all starts to go wrong so exactly or yeah. well, you get left behind then don't you yeah look to switch things a little bit then imagine you've been appointed marketing director cmo of a sort of scale up that's raised some money you know you've been brought in to build a team what would be your first sort of four or five hires then if you were going to focus on a demand gen strategy that we've kind of talked about today? Yeah, it's a good point. It's difficult to think about the first is scaling it back into what exactly what I'd need. I think if we break it out into like people who are helping, I suppose, generate demand and then people who are capturing existing demand, Starting on the capturing to demand side, I need some sort of expert, I think, in Google Ads, paid capturing to demand. I think that's key. That gets us to what's out there already. Mm. And then I think the rest will be about ways that we could scale and generate demand. So I feel like I'd like to, at the early stage, four or five hires, for example, probably go for a real generalist in a demand gen field, someone who can activate campaigns think about content, understands different ways of content distribution and gets like the whole demand gen sort of ideology, I suppose. Mm. And then there's probably people who would then be able to help actually activate that in sense that a video pro designer for sure. And then I think we need another sort of content expert writer as well to enable that side and work towards all of the SEO gains we'd want to make as well. And then actually the last one that I wish potentially we had earlier, and I think it's good to start off is someone for marketing ops mm. who can start from word go, setting it up mm. to work efficiently going forward and just help you scale. 
and then take it from there, really, see how much further we go. Yeah. It's interesting how you talk, actually, because that sounds almost like it could be like a consumer marketing team, couldn't it? You know, videographer, uh, creative. And, you know, I wonder if in the future these teams will be actually quite similar in a way. Because B2B, you know, you need to have that real strong creative these days from a B2B perspective. So it'd be interesting to see how it uh, pans out. I think people before would have maybe like focused on like specialists in email, mm. social or events. But like to me, a good DG marketer could do events and social. A good content marketer could do social as well. Yeah. And events isn't a one. You've got to be able to do it all now. So like, to specialize too early in a small company, I think, can set you back. And actually, you want to start off with a lot of people with broad generalist skills, mm. but like a lot of digital skills that can help you scale it. And what about from a tools perspective? Any particular tools you'd want to get your hands on pretty early on? It's difficult. I mean, metadata is great, actually. Helps us put all of Target on Facebook in the same way that we can target on LinkedIn. It basically helps us utilize that channel. It's a great product. And then obviously, I think a decent CRM, Salesforce, we use at the moment, and a marketing automation tool, whether that's HubSpot or Pardot, between either of those, they're exactly the same. A tool probably like Cognizant as well to give us access to sort of like data in the audiences as well, which can plug in alongside something like metadata. Mm. And otherwise, the rest that would be key to me, that early stage would be using all of the individual platforms themselves, such as LinkedIn, Google and Facebook. Yeah, metadata marketing is pretty good, actually. I follow those. Yeah, they're very good. They're a lot of inspiration to us, actually. Yeah, I see the similarities. Yeah. Last question then. You're hiring a demand gen person. What sort of skills and attributes would you look for? Yeah, I mean, we're hiring at the moment. So oh, here we go just then. Kind of <laughs> trying to think about what we're, exactly what we're looking for. I think key is like an understanding of the main channels that we use and like an, especially like an understanding of digital channels and understanding of content deeply, what works, how people consume content now and with an actual focus and interest in the customer because that's basically where you'll find all your answers anyway for what you need to do mm. and i think like being able to like think about stuff in an analytical way and also being creative like i think what's really hard to find sometimes is someone who can look at the data think about it analytically turn that into an idea ideate on it and then execute it all three of them are actually completely different skills mm. and it's hard therefore to find people who can do all of those so yeah i think those three facets are like yeah super important for us superb well it's been awesome talking to you from a distance you know i've been enjoying your journey i really enjoy your marketing congratulations it never stops as we talked about so best of <laughs> luck with everything going forward you've been a superstar for giving up your time liam thank you very much thanks man pleasure so that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.